Welcome to AO On Air. This is a podcast from ActiveOps, allowing us to present you topics ranging from operations management, leadership, technology, and new innovations. Check out all our episodes on YouTube channel AOTV or with your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple or Spotify. Now let's begin. Hello, and thank you for joining. This is AO On Air, and my name is Michael Cups. This is a podcast uh, sponsored by and, and hosted by ActiveOps. And really looking forward to our discussion today. It's, again, with somebody from Australia, so I'm looking forward to it. He'll introduce himself. We're going to talk about you know doing more with less, uh, handling operations through a recession. So, Danny, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I think you're from you're you're in Melbourne today, and I'm in Texas, so it's good to chat with you. And why don't we start with just an introduction of yourself? Thank you. Yes. Well, uh, I'm originally an engineer and I worked uh, for a short time in the chemical industry in a multinational chemical company. But for the last uh, three decades, I've been a professor of management. So I did my PhD in operations management, hence my great interest in ops, yeah. active ops and ops, ops management indeed. Uh, so I do research and teaching and consultancy and all the rest of the stuff that professors do uh, from a base in the University of Melbourne here. Uh, in operations management and related topics. What we're here to talk about today, and you're, you're, you're a contributor to some of our, our research and analysis of, uh, you know, you look around the world and there's just economic turbulence. Uh, you know, some countries are maybe not in a recession, some are fully in a recession, but regardless, there's high inflation, there's high prices, there's a lot of interesting economic challenges. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about today, kind of doing more with less or doing more with what you have both from an, maybe an individual perspective and a company or, or operations perspective. So, so Danny, I, I appreciate that uh, you're, a, you're an expert in that field and looking forward to the discussion. Um, so why don't we start there? First off, I'm, I'm guessing you've, uh, you've been through some recessions or you've been through some tough economic times before. Could you tell us a little bit about that just, just personally? Yeah, of course. Well, the one that I remember uh, most firmly is uh, in Australia, we called it the global financial crisis of 2008, and it went into 2009 and 2010, where stock markets and uh, indeed all markets, real estate markets, uh, went into essentially meltdown uh, uh, at that time. And it took the world quite a few years to recover. So that was one from, what's that? That's nearly 14, 15 years ago uh, or so. And then of course, if we talk about disruptions, the COVID pandemic of you know just a couple of years, sort of nearly three years ago now, uh, when it started, uh, was also a massive disruption to operations and supply chains. So there's two in absolute living memory that yeah. that have just been incredibly disruptive to operations and supply chains. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we learned some lessons there. I bet. And in and, and Australia, in addition to that, I know we've had some customers. Uh, and even before the pandemic, you had wildfires. I mean, Australia has lived lived through or managed through, if you want to say that, through some really, really interesting times that start and stop business, start and stop operations, and, and of, of course, affect us all personally. So very challenging times. And I do remember that. It, unfortunately, it feels like it was yesterday, but you're right. 2008 was quite quite some time ago, but... Uh, but here we are. So, so as uh, in your in your position as uh, as studying management, knowing operations, and and uh, you know talking with that in the field, what you know, do you have some suggestions for people as they look forward in the, these economic times? Kind of things they should plan for, or, or at least think about. Yeah. So here are some things that uh, some ideas uh, based on observation 
uh, and it's uh, it's important to say that every organisation. So think about manufacturing companies in Australia. We have a lot of mining, the mining companies, but also service organisations uh, such as banks and indeed public sector agencies, uh, universities, are large organisations. The one I the one I work at, the University of Melbourne, is a big organisation. We're also massively impacted. Uh, by these downturns. So whatever sector you're in, whatever size the organisation is in, uh, it's going to have to do something. And and the first thing I'd say is it's really important to try as best you can to be prepared. Uh, of course, we have this, this old saying about knowable unknowables and unknown unknowns. And sometimes you just can't be prepared for a sudden shock. But uh, what organisations do are some of the following things, if I could just give you a few points that I've got in my mind. And the first one is uh, when we see something coming over the horizon, uh, I call it batten down the hatches. Yep. Make sure the organisation has eliminated all forms of unnecessary cost so that we can be ready to be hopefully competitive and stay solvent and stay operating whilst taking out all forms of cost. And by the way, that includes trimming down budgets on nice to have items. And very importantly, from an operations management perspective, eliminating all forms of waste. And we should be eliminating all forms of waste anyhow. And somehow we don't do that as well as we should until times get really tough. So eliminating all forms of unnecessary cost, especially you know, waste, wasteful things that we can uh, just not do. And uh, in the case of waste, sometimes that makes organizations better for the long term as well. We say, gee, why have we always done that? It wasn't necessary to do that. We are leaking value. So eliminate all forms of waste. And sometimes that can actually be a lasting benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Second thing is uh, a, a relatively new term in the business vocabulary is resilience. So resilience to me is the ability to prepare for, but also to be able to adapt quickly to challenging and changing circumstances. So how can we build up an organization's resilience so that when the proverbial, you know what does hit the fan, we can hopefully be in a better position to adapt and to cope with it. And also to see it coming in the first place. So being more robust to disruptions, I know that's uh, easy to say and not nearly so easy to do, but nevertheless, uh, I think that's a very important one. And that that uh, applies to uh, the technical aspects of the organisation, but also very much to preparing a workforce for the changes that are going to hit. Yeah. yeah. The third one is to become hyper vigilant and also what I'd call fast response. So to scan the environment vigorously so that you can give your organization the most notice possible for yep. what is coming over the horizon. So environmental scanning, some organizations uh, use the term and even have departments called business intelligence, which can then inform the operations managers, the, the, you know, the chief uh, operating officer and others that is chance of this happening before it actually takes shape and materializes so that we can put plans in place and indeed, in many organizations, they do scenario planning well in advance so that if, so just to give an example, I was involved in scenario planning uh, when Australia had a terrible drought going back about 15 years. What are we going to do if that drought becomes way more severe? And unfortunately, that's happening. You know, the drought scenario is coming true 
in in various different parts of the world. I've been reading about what's happening, you know, out out near the Hoover Dam, yeah, yeah, in that area there, where we see those things uh, occurring, which are which are disrupting all sorts of business um, activities. Yeah. I would also say that it's important to think about creating a balance in your portfolio of products and activities of offensive strategies with defensive strategies so that you can perhaps consider moving from a just-in-time supply arrangement and just in the last uh, year or two, we've seen many organizations caught short with critical components. The famous one that we all know about is uh, computer chips of various kinds, yeah. which has then disrupted downstream industries, including, for example, automotive uh, plants that have just had to close. You can't sell a car without the computer chips that are needed to make it run. So uh, so consider moving a little bit from just in time to just in case. Storing or multi-sourcing or onshoring some critical components is potentially a defensive strategy, which might actually have a bit of a cost associated with it, but can indeed contribute to the resilience uh, during disruptive times and, and uh, during uh, various downturns. Yep. And uh, finally, I would say, prepare the organization by setting realistic goals. Uh, realistic goals that account for the challenging environment, uh, plan on hopefully a return to some semblance of normality afterwards so that people don't become you know, terribly depressed about everything and say, okay, this isn't gonna last forever. And we've, you know, as we just uh, said a few minutes ago, we saw uh, in 2008, 9, 10, we saw terrible disruption. There's a recovery over the horizon. Uh, we've seen COVID. I'm not saying COVID's completely finished, but we've seen COVID come and we've seen it also, let, let me just uh, say, start to wane, I suppose. Yep. And there's some semblance of return to normality. So set realistic goals, recognize that this is going to last six months, one year, two years, uh, and then hopefully we'll actually bounce back better as a result of what we've uh, been able to do. Excellent. And those are great points, so, Danny. And I, 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 I've got, you, you know, a lot of them cross over one another. So maybe we can I dig do. a little into and, and maybe even talk about a couple of them together because you, uh, I mean, realistic goals is something that everybody has to kind of reset sometimes when, when you, when you do get fine yeah. constraints, but you talked about resiliency and you talked about offensive and defensive strategies. And the thing that you mentioned there that I, that I find interesting for us when we, when we think about the workforce, and that's what we talk about a lot here on AO on Air, and you think about, you know, just in time or just in case supply and, and labor, and, but you still hear the company saying, hey, we need to adjust costs. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting balance there, right? Because you still, operations leaders still need the ability to build in that resiliency, but they also have, have kind of hard costs with labor. So, you know, oftentimes right or wrong, you know, companies lay off people during a recession, but that may be not the right strategy, especially if they don't have the data to know where to, where to make those cuts, right? Yeah, well, I agree that it's definitely very nuanced and uh, a delicate set of balances. And I might use as an example what happened when COVID uh, hit us uh, like it did everywhere uh, in uh, 2019 and uh, particularly in 2020. Let me use the University of Melbourne where I work uh, as an example. So we have uh, a lot of uh, people who are our full-time staff, professors like me, who are continuing staff. 
uh, on continuing basis, but we also have a very large uh, group of people who are sessional teachers and instructors who come in. And we had to batten down the hatches. My, my first uh, phrase of batten down the hatches, because all of a sudden, our student numbers, we closed Australia as an island continent, and we closed for business. And so all the foreign students that come into Australia were not allowed to come and not allowed to return after that, after that summer break. Uh, and so uh, our revenue stream dramatically reduced. We therefore had to substantially reduce our costs. And so we have uh, what you might call a core and periphery uh, in our workforce. And we had to let a whole lot of our casual employees who are sessional lecturers and teachers and tutors go. And uh, very unfortunate, very sad, including some people that I consider to be, you know, personal friends, but the organizations, uh, you know, always look after themselves and do these things. And at, and at some personal cost uh, to those people, they were uh, not reappointed uh, is, is a, a way of putting it uh, for the following semesters. Now, what that does to the organization, though, is it changes its mix of activities because uh, professors like me then had to take up not just my teaching load, we still had to teach all of all the full programs, even though the classrooms were only half full, so to speak. Uh, we still had to teach a whole lot of programs and we also had to do their teaching as well. A typical example of asking your employees to put in extra effort, more productivity. And uh, for a couple of years, what that means is that professors like me then have to do a little bit less, hopefully not too much less, of the other work that they do, which is primarily our research work. Mm -hmm. Now, the organization has to, has to just basically cop that. And that's a deliberate strategy that it makes in order to financially survive and balance its books. Uh, we have to change the mix of activities that we do. And unfortunately, uh, we had to have some layoffs of yeah. our casual staff. And, uh, you know, sad as it is, uh, that's life. That's understandable yeah. and that's life. Yeah, it's interesting that you, what you mentioned there, I, I'm, I'm glad you went with the full cycle because it's not just about losing people that you, you mentioned, not only our friends and coworkers, but but also other staff has to pick up that that effort because the effort doesn't necessarily go away, but, but the, the, the way you, maybe it leads into resiliency. So how do managers and, and companies think about resiliency, even though they're cutting back on some of those things? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, being able to, uh, be resilient means that you are able to plan and execute strategies somewhat like the one I used in my example, one way or the other. Now it may be, that you cut back on some of your labor. Uh, and in a service business like a university, a service organization like a university, labor is a very high part of the cost. In a manufacturing organization, uh, let's pick an example of where the labor cost is only a very small part yep. of the total cost. And uh, an extreme example is an oil refinery. Now I've worked in that industry uh, quite a lot. I uh, started my career essentially there, and I've also provided a lot of advice in that sector. You know, the labor cost, you've got very few people uh, in such an organization, huge amounts of oil being turned into, you know, petroleum products and so on. You know, so you can't really lay off many people and have and have much of an impact uh, on the cost cake yeah, in that yeah. case. So you have to think about some other things depending on the industry circumstance. And it may well be that you do an ABC analysis on your product mix, 
that operations managers will understand about the high volume and the high revenue products and, and you know, those very small volume products. And you say, you know what, some of those nice to have C items that are very small in volume, we're going to have to cut cost by cost, cutting the cost of complexity in our business and suspend making some of those very small special items for a while, maybe for a year or for or for a two, and say to our customers, I'm sorry, we can't do those specialist items anymore because we have to cut back our complexity and cut back on our costs and sort of retreat to our core for a little while. So there's many different strategies, and it depends on the cost cake, which has to be carefully examined, and then the strategy will follow as to how we're going to keep balancing our books, hopefully, during those difficult times. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I appreciate you inter- you mentioning the refinery business because being here in Texas, we know a little bit about petroleum products and movement. Uh, but, you know, what that brings is I, r- I really like what you said there about cutting back certain sectors. And, and when I think of our customers in banking and insurance, you know, the same thing applies. They have a por- product portfolio and some products will have to be go to go. And so let's go to one of your points about offensive and defensive strategies, right? Um, and, and how that you know, maybe just give us some insight into when you're evaluating, you know, go on the offense or defense, you know, how, how do you rank those? How do you even get to that point, right, where, where you know where to go first? Yeah. Uh, again, it's different for every organization. Yep. But I would say that uh, we need to defend our, we, you, we need to defend our core, and that's our core products and the core of our customer base. And it may well be that we have to say to some customers, sorry, we can't service your special needs uh, anymore, or or we'll have to, uh, unfortunately, we'll have to price those uh, to a point whereby they're probably uh, not going to continue to want to buy uh, those things. Um, in offensive strategies, many organizations have actually found that this is a good time to make investments in innovation mm-hmm. and in new technologies. So let me give you an example. I've just uh, written a book uh, with a couple of uh, colleagues uh, about business model transformation. And a really interesting example that we studied and and wrote about in our book was Bank of America. Mm -hmm. Bank of America came out of the recession of 2008, 9, 10 uh, with a completely new technology revamp, essentially massively digitized, took tens of millions, I think it was more than 40 million customers, retail customers, and a very large number of its business customers from the old world of banking, which was paper-based, a lot of branch branch banking, into the digital world, introduced digital products, introduced artificial intelligence, and that magnificently changed both the cost structure, of course, Uh, By bringing in artificial intelligence, you need a whole lot less of what I'll call human touch in the call center for for routine matters. Digitized products taught millions of retail customers how to do online banking. And as a result of those fantastic technological changes, it's been a massive success for Bank of America. Put everything on the cloud as well, which turned a lot of CapEx into lower cost per unit OPEX of course, and, and through a technological, essentially a revolution, in my, in my opinion. I think it was more than an evolution. It was a revolution. Uh, and many organizations have done things like that, uh, which have then used technological levers, especially digitalization, uh, to bounce back 
and to uh, now become much more resilient. So if something happened now that was similar to what happened way back then that caused them to do that, they're in much better shape. They are much more resilient now than they used to be as a result of what they did following that, that massive recession that we had. That's a, that's a fantastic story, Danny. Thank you for sharing that. That's that, And by the way, I want you to plug your book here in a moment. Um, but that's an interesting interesting thing because when they went through something, if you think about that offensive and defensive strategy you were talking about, they actually use that opportunity to come out stronger based on what you said, which so, allows them actually to kind of go back and take on more projects, even more products, because if you're if your foundation is stronger, you have the ability to adapt and add new things. So that, that's that's an extraordinary story. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Uh, well, uh, does does that um, maybe it doesn't tie into the last one? But I'm curious the real setting realistic goals. I mean, they, they set an ambitious goal there uh, to to change the way they were doing business. Maybe out of necessity, maybe out of of desire, but. Um, if you're running a business and you're looking at this, you know, I think the first is realistic goals. So how would, how would you advise business leaders to take that on? Yeah, thanks. Um, so, uh, just, I really like your point about, uh, maybe out of necessity, maybe out of desire, because in our research, we found that there are many things that can trigger things like a digital transformation. Uh, and sometimes it is necessity. Uh, necessity, you know, the old saying, necessity being the mother of uh, invention or in, in their case, invention and uh, indeed uh, bank-wide innovation yeah. uh, that occurred. Uh, but sometimes it's uh, forward-thinking desire without necessarily having your back up against the wall. Uh, it can be just a case of a very wise strategy making. So in both of those cases, uh, that that uh, can be the trigger. In terms of, in terms of setting goals, uh, well, sticking with Bank of America, uh, they set goals uh, associated with two things. Well, number one was service levels. We want to give our customers more, let's talk retail customers or business customers, we want to give them a better offering. So that if you think about the value proposition, benefits divide by price, essentially, uh, and price being cost plus margin. Firstly, we want to take a whole lot of the cost out of our bank. And so that meant doing a lot of things related to automating the things that can be sensibly automated. And they did a hell of a job, but it, it involved a significant upfront investments, yep. but they saved billions of dollars in operating costs per year once that was set up. Yeah. They therefore themselves become much more resilient for the next time things get tough. And also on the benefits side, they're, operate, they're operating now with uh, the digital world, offering customers much more convenience, which is what customers nowadays want. You can do all of your banking from home. You can do it over the phone. You can do it on the internet. You can you can get access to uh, the, the uh, voice-assisted artificial intelligent support services, which are very comprehensive these days. And uh, that means that those things can be scaled up so easily that it means that you're not going to be waiting on the phone for half an hour or an hour waiting for a human operator, which means service levels actually go up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, and you're right. And that's, that's, that's awesome. So the one question I, we covered a lot about cost resiliency, you know, reducing risk, but also investing in the future. I, I'm putting words in your mouth. I don't mean to, but that, that kind of thing. One thing that we didn't talk about that uh, that we've been doing several of these interviews is about the impact to the 
the people that are still in the organization, even after a layoff, and even your example where you had uh, friends and colleagues that advised, what would your advice be to managers that have, you know, maybe had a team of 20 and now they have a team of 18? Um, what would be your advice to that manager to say, to, you know, hey, you know, take, take control of where we are and, and we'll, we'll build from here? What would be your advice there? Um, well, I'd like to draw on an instance uh, of an organization that I've studied uh, very closely and in fact have just published an article in the Journal of Operations Management. Speaking of operations management, it's yep. the most prestigious journal uh, in existence. Uh, and that, that study that uh, has just come out in the last couple of weeks was a study of what Toyota did in Australia when they had to not just reduce their workforce, but close their plant completely. Unfortunately, uh, for a whole lot of economic and, and other reasons, the Australian automotive industry closed uh, uh, in recent years. And uh, that was a General Motors plant. We had a Ford manufacturing plant down here and we had a Toyota Camry assembly plant. And what Toyota did was just so instructive, and that's what's in that article in the Journal of Operations Management. Um, what they did was they prepared their workforce for the new circumstances, in that case of a complete closure. So not just going from 20 to 18, but uh, a complete cl closure. And uh, they gave their workers incredible amounts of support and retraining. They called them upskilling and reskilling programs. So for the workers who are leaving, Toyota did, in my opinion, a world-class job of preparing the people who were leaving. Now, there were uh, something like 2,800 people who stayed in what was the Toyota sales and services organization, you know, parts, logistics, sales, dealerships. Um, those people that remained were also massively impacted by a complete reorganization. But because Toyota invested so incredibly well in being the best they could be, they called it a respectful transition that they made. And the key there is the word respect. Yep. And they supported those workers who were leaving so very well that the morale of the people who stayed was not negatively impacted at all. In fact, I've got all of their employee satisfaction data. Employee satisfaction during that incredibly disruptive transition actually increased wow. and they continued to do their continuous improvement initiatives it's just an you know absolutely awesome example of how well things can be done during times of major disruption to keep the employee engagement the employee morale uh, at high levels to keep the productivity up even though a necessary disruption has been forced upon the company yeah that's it that's a great story, Dan. You, you, you've got you've got several of them. Thank you very much for that. That that was uplifting because I keep asking you about the negatives and you keep bringing up the positives. So that's fantastic. So anything that we left out before we kind of close up here? Anything that you wanted to cover on this topic? No, I think that's uh, that's been very thorough. Thank you for uh, for asking me about those examples. Yeah, exactly. And Danny, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, is there a, it should they just go? By the way, the the scene behind you is that the university behind you? It, it looks that like is it, that's that's one of our one hundred and fifty year old original sandstone buildings. It's beautiful. Uh, it it really is a lovely campus that we have. Like a lot of American university campuses, a very long time ago, I worked at the University of Illinois, and that's also a beautiful campus. Yes. Although it's a, it looks a bit different in the middle of winter to what you see behind <laughs> me, uh, yes, a little but, more. But uh, 
Mm-hmm. A little Look more of that it. white powdery stuff around sometimes. Yeah, so. exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Look, if people want to contact me, they can look me up uh, at the University of Melbourne uh, website uh, where, where they can easily find me uh, and find my email address. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for spending your morning with us, and uh, we appreciate your insights. And um, what what I'll do on our uh, on the notes of this podcast, we'll put uh, your your journal uh, article. If if you don't mind sharing a link with that, we'll put oh, that there. My pleasure. And I also mentioned earlier, you you just said a book is the book out. Is it published now? And, and is it available? Yeah, yeah. It's just come out in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's called Business Model Transformation: uh, The Artificial Intelligence and Cloud Revolution published by Routledge. And uh, I've got two two colleagues who are indeed consultants, business consultants who have written that with me. Uh, so uh, yeah, and and uh, the Bank of America case that I mentioned is one of the, what I'll call the best uh, practice case examples, but it's also full of examples and case studies from companies large and small who have used AI and cloud as technological enablers of business model transformations. Excellent. That's going to be great. I, I look forward to getting that myself and I'll, I'll find the link and make sure that that's available to others as well as they watch this. So thank, Danny, you. thank you so much for joining us this, this, this evening for us, this morning for you. Uh, enjoy the conversation. Great examples and wish, wish you well. We'll, we'll see you soon. And we wish you well too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And everyone that's uh, tuning into this podcast, we invite you to listen to other podcasts on AOTV which is our channel on YouTube, or you can go find more at activeops.com. On our resource hub, you can learn more about our products and solutions. Thank you so much and have a great evening.